But now we're going to move on, and I have a couple of teachings this week and next that I felt really um, just, it was in my heart to share this. This teaching I've never shared before. What we're going to look at today is God's perspective of sickness. God's perspective of sickness and of health. Because there is this really huge lie in the world. And it's not just non-Christians that believe this lie. It's also believers. Many Christians believe this lie. And that is, this is the lie. This isn't truth. This is a lie. I got to say that loud and clear. This is a lie. The lie is that God gives or allows sickness in order to teach us or to perfect us or to discipline us. That is not the truth. That's a lie. What we've done in this world is we've created a, a theology to accommodate sickness. We've, we've, we've see what happens through experience in different lives. And then because we can't fit the word into that, we kind of muddle the word in a way where it's not full truth. It's watered down or it's twisted or it's confused. So we accommodate theology or our belief to fit our experience. And today what I want to do is I really want to go to truth to show you why that's a lie. We're going to go to lots of biblical truth today. Sickness is an enemy. It's not a gift. Sickness is an enemy that must be defeated. And my prayer is that when we see how God views sickness, that we'll do what he does. We'll get angry. I'm going to show you some scriptures today where Jesus got angry. He was grieved. In one of the scriptures I'm going to share, it says he was angered and he was grieved at the hard-heartedness of the, of the religious people because they had accommodated things and they, had, they were seeing evil as good and good as evil. So we're going to look at some of that. So my prayer is that when we have a, 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 an open view, so Father, I pray right now that our eyes are open to see from your viewpoint. When we see as God sees, I believe that it's going to switch our perspective. And as our perspective switches, that's the movement into believing the word, the way that it is written, not the way that it is interpreted or misinterpreted. So here's a really powerful analogy. If there was a poisonous snake in your house, especially if you have somebody in that house that you love, what would you do? You'd kill that thing. You would kill it. You wouldn't make it a nice little home and accommodate it. You wouldn't even ask God to remove it for you. You wouldn't pray to God. You'd go get something, you'd kill that thing and you'd do it quick. That's how we need to treat sickness, like a snake. But many times we don't. Many times we, we are passive or we accommodate it or we maybe, maybe even say, well, I can live with that. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live with a snake in my house. I don't want to live with any sickness no matter how small, no matter how great. God wants us well. So the purpose of today's message is to reveal God's truth by showing you God's view of sickness and health. And I'm going to use the word every step of the way. So I'm going to share 10 different points 
about how God views sickness. And here's the first one. God views sickness as a curse. I want to go back to the Old Testament in the Old Covenant of the Law. We're going to just talk. We're not going to read because this is a long chapter, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Deuteronomy 28. In the book of Deuteronomy 28, it's, um, it's divided into two sections. The first 15 verses are blessings for obedience. From verse 15 or 16 to the very end, and it's like 60-some verses long, so lots and lots of verses, are about curses for disobedience. Now, what I want to do is read what some of those curses are. Consumption. Fever, inflammation, boils, tumors, the scab, the itch, madness, blindness, confusion of heart, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sicknesses. Do you agree with that list that those are sicknesses? They're either sicknesses of the mind or the body. God calls them curses. They are curses. Now, the really, really, really good news is that we are no longer under the covenant of the law. We are under the new covenant of grace. And in Galatians 3.13, the first scripture that we're going to look at today, we see that Jesus redeemed us from the curse. That thing, sickness, sickness is a curse. Jesus redeemed us from the curse. So listen to this scripture. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. That word rescued can also be translated redeemed. But Christ has rescued us. He's redeemed us from the curse pronounced by the law. So that's the law. That's the the one that we just read talked about from Deuteronomy 28. The word rescued or redeemed means he paid the full price or the ransom. He paid the price that we owed for all the sin. Yes, there were curses for sin, but Jesus took, he paid the price completely for us. He rescued us from that curse. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. That was the reason why there was the curse of sickness in the first place or all of those curses in Deuteronomy 28. But he took the curse upon himself for the sin, for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus became the curse for us to remove the curse from us. Isn't that good news? So sickness is a curse. God sees sickness as a curse. But we've been redeemed from the curse. And sickness is part of that. Sickness is part of our redemption. We talked a few weeks ago about soul issues in our heads, in our minds, in our relationships, in our emotions. That's also part of that. We've been redeemed. That is a biblical truth. Here's the next piece that I want to share, how God views sickness. Sickness is the oppression of the devil. Acts 10, 38. And you know that God anointed 
Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's a beautiful picture of how God sees sickness, oppression of the devil, and what he does about it, what he wants to do about it, and that's healing with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we have the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had, the same degree of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't all um, acknowledge and, um, and, and, and depend on the Holy Spirit as the way Jesus did. So the Holy Spirit doesn't always work the same way through us, but that's my goal, that's my heart, that's my, my desire, and that's God's desire for us. But Jesus went about healing those who were oppressed by the devil. That word oppressed means illegal or unjust control. The reason it's illegal and unjust is because if you're a child of God, like our new friend that Alice led to the Lord, if you have declared your belief, first of all, you have to believe in your heart. If you've believed in your heart and received the sacrifice and believed and accepted the sacrifice, then you've been moved. You've been transferred out of the dominion of darkness where the devil had control. And now you're in the kingdom of the son of his love and we have dominion over the enemy. I like to say the curse has been reversed. Instead of the enemy having dominion over us, we have dominion over the enemy. And that's the will of God. He says, sickness, oh, that's, that's not a me. Uh-uh. I like to say if it's bad, it's the devil. If it's good, it's God. And sickness, in my mind, is bad. There's nothing good about sickness. And I don't want to... I don't want to have any confusion about thinking sickness is good in any way. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he did. He didn't come to condone it. He didn't come to accommodate it. He didn't come to say, oh, we're going to see this as a blessing. You never see Jesus do that. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, I've said this before, and this is kind of the hard part, but the enemy has been, dis- been defeated, but he's still here. He's still on the earth. The only power he has is the power we give him, but he is still here, and that's why we want the junk of the enemy to be exposed so we can have um, uh, 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 the knowledge to, act, to use the power that we have and the authority that we have. Number three. Sickness is bondage. Sickness is bondage. That's how God sees sickness. I'm going to read an account right now where Jesus is referring to sickness as the bondage of Satan. So sickness is bondage. It's not necessarily always directly, um, uh, uh, however you want to put it, demonically put on you. It might be whatever. It might be a result of... um, the situation that you're in. Maybe you've been a smoker your whole life or maybe you've been around um, um, asbestos or something. So it's not necessarily um, a demonic thing that, God, that, that the enemy put on you. But that is possible. 
However, sickness is always bondage. Sickness holds you in bondage. So let's look at the scripture. Luke 13, verse 11 through 16. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. 18 years. 18 years, and she was loosed from that bondage, from that infirmity. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his or her donkey from the, from the stall and lead it um, away to water? So ought not this woman, so ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, shouldn't she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? So sickness is bondage. God sees sickness as bondage. But Jesus releases us from bondage. Everything we've seen so far, Jesus took care of. Sickness is a curse. Jesus redeemed us from the curse. Sickness is um, the oppression of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the oppression and the works of the devil. Sickness is bondage. Jesus came to release us from bondage. Sickness is also captivity. Job. We all know the story of Job. One of these days, I am going to dig deep and study out enough to teach on Job. I've heard teachings, but I've never taught on the story of Job or on the account of Job. But this much I know. Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. It was written, I believe, like right after Genesis. It's one of the oldest books in the Bible. It is certainly way before Jesus. It is certainly way before the New Covenant. And the sickness that was put upon Job was the devil, was the enemy. The enemy put that sickness on Job. Now, I'm not going to teach all about Job because I don't have all, I want to be able to do it well when I do. But this much I do want to show you. God called Job's sickness captivity. This is Job 42, verse 10. It says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So this is at the very end of the book when the sickness that Job had been fighting, it was a seven-month-long sickness. And after those seven months, he was healed. Yes, hallelujah. And, but God called it captivity. Sickness is bondage. Sickness is captivity. But look at the next scripture. Jesus. We're going back to our Lord Jesus. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. This I read a couple weeks ago. This is when the Isaiah prophetic word was fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus had just been baptized in the River Jordan, and the Holy Spirit had descended upon him. And then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he spent 40 days. When he came out, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he went to the synagogue. And this is the first 
time that he ministered. And this is what he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Remember, sickness is captivity. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. That's healing. To set at liberty those who are, oppre- who are oppressed. It says that Jesus came to do good and to heal those who were oppressed. He set at liberty the oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that means the fullness of salvation abounding. The fullness that God intends for us to the finished work of Christ, to like overabound. That word means like over and over, more than you can even begin to know. That's what God's will is. Sherry, your smile is gorgeous. She's getting so excited with the word. I love it. Okay. So sickness is captivity, but Jesus came to free us from captivity. Good news God sees sickness as captivity and he made the way for us to be freed through Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus. Okay, here's the next one, number five. In this biblical account, we're going to see Jesus inferring that sickness is evil and kills. Now, we know that Jesus only said what he heard his father say and do what he saw his father do. So if Jesus says that sickness is evil and it kills, then that's God's view of sickness. And then in this account, there's a man with a a deformity, and it's the man with withered hand, and he heals him. So he shows the contrast between how God sees sickness, which is evil, and it kills, and what what God desires and what he does through Jesus, which is healing and giving life. So we're going to look at the contrast, and Jesus talks about this right in the scripture. So let's read it. Mark 3, verse 1 through 5. And he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there that had a withered hand. So they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved at the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. So this is a beautiful account showing what God thinks of sickness and what he intends to do. And he showed us through Jesus. Jesus always points us to the heart of the father. So here they are on the Sabbath. There's a man with a withered hand. Now I may be reading more into this than the Bible says, but when I think of a person with a withered hand, I think of a birth defect that the man probably had his whole life. And or a disability. I mean, when we see people with, a, you know, one arm or a shortened arm or whatever, it's like, whoa, that would be a big healing for God to do, right? God can do anything. We know that. But Jesus said, step forward to that man. And then 
all of those scribes, the Pharisees, the, the, um, the chief priests, the religious people were there. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And they didn't say anything. Can you believe that? How they would not say it's better to save life and to heal? They're in church. But they didn't even answer. And what did Jesus do? He got angry. He got angry. And he was grieved with the hardness of their hearts. Because all they could think was the law and the rules. And not the love and the goodness of, of God. And what's, what is good? Healing and life. It's pretty obvious, but they wouldn't even speak that out. So the enemy's plan, well, let's do God's plan first. God is to do good and save life. And we can see that because that's what Jesus did. He healed that man with a withered hand. The enemy's plan is to do evil and to kill. And that's how God sees sickness, as evil and killing. Now, what happens, what has happened in this, this picture? And we see it today, and that's why I'm making the comparison. What we, say, we see in this account is that they are seeing something that is good as evil. Healing, Jesus healing. They're seeing something good as evil. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous. In the next scripture, Isaiah 5.20, the word says, Woe, judgment is coming to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what's happening there. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Today we're talking about a lie that's in the world that is doing exactly what the scripture says. When, when people accommodate their lives and try to fit the word with experience and they say that God gives sickness or allows sickness to teach us or to discipline us or to perfect us or somehow to be a gift, which that one I can't even fathom. I can't fathom any of them, but especially the gift one. What they're doing is they're seeing something very evil and calling it good. Something very dark and calling it light. Something very bitter and calling it sweet. And God says, whoa, judgment is coming to those. We're going to get to the, the whole idea. And we're, I'm going to give you scripture to explain all of those in, when we get further on in this teaching. So just hold that if you have a question in your heart right now. Number six, sickness is an enemy that kills. It's not a friend. The word, however, heals and is life. Psalm 107, verse 19 and 20. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. So when we look at the scripture, I see two words that, that possibly could mean sickness. There's the word distress and there's the word death. But it says, and it's underlined, that he sent the word and healed them. 
and snatched them from the door of death. He sent the word and healed them. God sees sickness as something that kills. It's an enemy. But he has given us the word and healing. I want to go to the next scripture and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the word. Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 22. My son, my daughter, pay attention to my words and be willing to learn. That's a big one. Sometimes we have been taught in such a way that it's very ingrained in our minds and in our heart. But God is speaking to us through his word and he says, pay attention to my words and be willing to learn. Open your ears to my sayings. Don't let them escape from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart for they are life to those who find them, healing and health to all their flesh. So in both of these scriptures, the Bible talks about the word healing. We know in the, in the book of John, in the gospel of John, the Bible says that the word was God and the word became flesh. And I'm not quoting it very well, but you know the scripture that I mean. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the one that fulfills the word, fulfills the law, fulfills the promises that God has made for us. And in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 1.20, maybe it's 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says that every promise that God has given has been fulfilled through Jesus. And God says yes to his promises. But our part is to know, to pay attention to the word, the living word, the promises of the word, and how Jesus has fulfilled those promises. To keep them in our heart, pay attention to them, be open be open and willing to learn. Open your ears. Let them come in. Let them take up residence in your heart. And the promise is that God sent his word to heal. His promise is that his word is life to those who find them and healing and health to their flesh. The word life means physical life. That particular word life isn't Zoe life. It isn't Eternal life. Eternal life's awesome. Eternal life begins the moment that you give your heart to the Lord and it lasts forever. But this word refers to physical life. Like what the medical world would call physical life. Your brain working, your heart pumping, your organs and your systems all in order. The Bible says that the word is life, physical life to those who find them and healing and health to their flesh. It can also be translated medicine. Medicine, healing, and health to your flesh. And flesh is flesh. Your stomach, your skin, your brain, your heart, whatever part of your body is in need of healing. The word brings healing. It's medicine. It's healing and health to your flesh. So sickness is an enemy that kills. That's God's view of sickness. But he made the way through the word, through Jesus, for healing. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. Number seven. Sickness is always something that steals from you. Satan is the one that steals. God gives. 
He doesn't steal. Sickness steals. Sickness steals from you. It steals uh, your comfort. It steals your, your um, time. It can't even steal your complete life. It steals your, your um, happiness. It steals your joy. Sickness steals. God doesn't steal. God gives. Don't get confused and think that God gives sickness. He doesn't. He doesn't give. I'm sorry, he doesn't steal. He only gives. In John 10.10, familiar scripture. This is from the Passion Translation. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But listen to what Jesus says. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. That's what Jesus has come to give, everything in abundance. That's a wonderful meditation. Jesus, I thank you that you came to give me everything in abundance, more than I can expect, fullness in my life until it overflows. That's what Jesus came to give us. He doesn't steal. He gives. God sees sickness as stealing. He doesn't steal. He only gives. Sickness is the nature of Satan manifested. Health and healing is the nature of God manifested. Number, number eight. Sickness is not a good or a perfect gift. Very, not very often, but occasionally we'll hear the, the lie that sickness is given as a gift. That is a big, fat lie. Sickness is never a gift. God gives good gifts. Sickness isn't a good gift. Sickness isn't even a gift. James 1, 7, listen to this. Every gift that God freely gives, look at the word freely. That in itself is a huge revelation. We don't have to work. We don't have to deserve it. He freely gives. Every gift God freely gives is good and perfect, streaming down from the Father of lights who shines from the heavens with no shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. Did you see the part that says there's no shadow or darkness? Sickness would be shadow or darkness. There's no shadow or darkness in God's gifts. His gifts are good and perfect. And he never changes. God is the only thing ever that isn't subject to change. He doesn't change ever. Matthew 7, verse 9 through 11. Do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child who asks for food a plate of rocks instead? Or when asked for a piece of fish, what parent would offer his child a snake instead? If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? That right there is the easiest way for me to look at my father God. Because as a mother and as a grandmother, I would 
never in a million years give my children sickness for any reason. And my father, Father God, is so much better than I could possibly be. I'm an imperfect mother. I'm an imperfect person. But God isn't. I remember, I will never forget, when I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, and one of the, my mother was devastated, like any mother would be. And she said to me, Cindy, I would give anything to trade places with you. Mothers would do that for their children, the way we love our children. But my mom couldn't. But Jesus did. Jesus did. He made the trade. His body was broken so ours could be whole. He took the stripes on his back to heal every disease known to mankind. He's promised us healing of everything, everything, anything. Famine, um, long, prolonged sicknesses, terror. Read Psalm 91. Every terror known to man, every sickness, every plague, every um, pestilence, every virus, every, every, everything. He made the way for us to be completely, completely well and whole. He made the trade. He's a good good father and he only gives good gifts abundance more than you can expect one of my favorite scriptures that i refer to often is ephesians 3:20 god that gives us over and above what we could ask dream desire according to the power that works in us we have a part to play we're going to talk about that in a second Number nine, sickness is not given by God to teach or perfect or discipline us. This is where we're zeroing in on that lie. Sickness is not given for that purpose. The word is what's given to us to teach us and to perfect us and to correct us. Not sickness. God doesn't give sickness to teach us. He gives us the word to teach us. And I'm going to show you the evidence in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Does it say he gives us sickness to teach us what is true and to, teach, and to show us what's wrong in our lives? No. Scripture. It corrects us when we're wrong. And teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. It's talking about scripture. God uses the word to prepare and equip his people. To perfect us. To do every good work. That word perfect is. There's a lot of Bible translations. And I chose the, the NLT for this, for this verse. But in the New King James it uses the word perfect. We're talking about the word teaching us, correcting us, perfecting us. That means to prepare and equip us, to build us up, to mature us. The word is what teaches us. The word corrects right here is only used once in the New Testament, and it isn't discipline. It doesn't mean discipline. It doesn't mean punish. This is what it means. 
That word corrects means restoration to right state, improvement of life or character. God wants us to be improved, to be restored to right state, to be improved in our life and our character. That doesn't mean punishment. It means to restore us to a right state. It means to improve us in our life and our character. And I get that all the time. And I love it when God gives me those corrections. I love it when he shows me where I'm, I, I, I need to move or change or, or make it, take an action of some sort. It's not ever punishing or hurtful. It's loving. It's beautiful because that's how God is. In Romans 4, I don't remember the verse, but it says that the perfect lo- or the love of God leads us to repentance. Or the goodness of God, I think it says. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. It doesn't say the punishment of God. It doesn't say sickness. It says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So sickness, God doesn't give us sickness to teach us. He gives us the word to teach us. Now we're going to go to James chapter 1. I've been spending a lot of time here this week. James chapter 1, that chapter that I, I've read it a lot. And it's one of those chapters that is like, I don't know if I really like this chapter, God. But I, I, it's growing on me. It's really growing on me. And I've just been blessed a lot by this chapter. And I think you're going to be too today. I'm going to read you two different sections. First, I'm going to read verse 2 through 4. And I'm using the Passion Translation. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. So in this word, God is telling us that when stuff happens in life, and, and John 16, says that there will be trials and tribulations, but Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've deprived it of its power over you. So there's stuff out there, and we know that the, the enemy's still in the world, and there's still stuff here. But there, when we're going through that stuff, the Bible says that it's an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. And then it goes on, and in other translations, it talks about developing patience and endurance. And in the process, you're developed and matured and perfected. As I was reading this, I was thinking about two things. Faith. We talk about faith a lot which is confidence in God and his goodness, confidence in the promises of his word, confidence in the finished work of Jesus and believing that that work is more than enough. But that faith comes through renewing your mind, renewing your mind with the word, allowing the word to take up residence in you. And I always use the analogy of pregnancy Guys, sorry, you can't, you can't probably relate as well as the ladies. But pregnancy is conceiving a seed, a promise. We're talking about 
um, an analogy, not the real deal, thank goodness. <laughs> Conceiving a seed and then incubating it. Renewing your mind, meditating on it, incubating it. And in that process, your endurance, and I've, I've been thinking of the, the word faith, enduring faith, expecting faith, expectant faith. Then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. I'm going to go to the, I'm going to skip a few verses and go down to verse 12 and 13 and I didn't put this on your sheet cuz I ran out of room and I didn't want to print out more paper. <laughs> so this is you might want to jot it down and look at it this week when you're at home. Listen to this. If your faith remains strong, so we're still talking about steadfast faith, immovable, enduring faith. If your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith. Do you hear that? The, the, the test is passed with faith. And you receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. The next verse says, when you are tempted... Don't ever say, God is tempting me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of temptation. Now, the word tempted or tempting or temptation is in there four times. I looked it up. And I learned something so cool and so new. That word, listen to what it means. This is the Greek word. It means to try, to make trial of, or to test for the purpose of ascertaining faith, virtue, or character. So it means, the word that says tempted, means to test in order to, to ascertain or to see if there's faith, virtue, or character. It says he, that means God, he is never the source of temptation. He is never the source of testing. That just blew me away. God uses stuff all the time, but he doesn't give stuff to test you. I believe that with all my heart. God does not give sickness. The God allow one is a harder one. I don't believe God allows sickness. But I do think that he allows us to allow it. We've been given authority. We've been given dominion. If we don't know our authority, if we don't know our dominion, we can unknowingly receive sickness. Hold on to it. Accommodate it. Make peace with it. I don't want to do that. I see people shaking their head. Christine saying, nope, not me. Suzette saying, that's not me. But we have a part to play. 
Um, I want to share, um, and I shared this last time. So if you were here last time, you're going to hear it again because it, it's so powerful with this, this teaching. Because we're talking about in the midst of those situations, those hard times of life, and many of you are here right now sitting in one of them. In the midst of those situations, this James chapter talks all about continuing, continuing, or I can't say it, continuing to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness Guys, I have seen true happiness sitting right here in this room. I have seen people overwhelmed with the awe of God in the midst of this crazy trial in their life. I was that way when I was going through cancer. I can look back and say that that experience changed everything in my life. The devil messed with the wrong lady. That's what I say. God didn't give it to me. But boy, did he use it. And that enduring faith, that renewing of mind and staying steadfast and, and growing and, and hearing and being open, being teachable, gave God the opportunity to do all sorts of things. Leah, you're another one I have seen just blossom. The situation hasn't changed drastically yet. With her daughter, she's believing her daughter for a, a miraculous healing for her daughter. But she's a different woman. She is in peace and in strength and courage and even joy. Her whole life has changed in the midst of a trial. So this is what happened in one of my situations of life. It was in 2010. I was diagnosed and healed of cancer in 2002. 2010, they found another mass in my neck. And, oh, back up. In December of 2009, I gave God my yes to writing my second book, which is called Healed for Life, How to Keep Your Healing. I told God, yes, I'm going to write this book. I was concerned. It was breaking my heart when I saw people not keeping their healing. And after a lot of time of God, you know, nudging me I finally said yes then in January they found the mass you think that was the devil yeah it was totally the devil fast forward all is well I'm completely whole completely well but it took time took months and months of standing on the word and believing God's word over the symptoms and over the potential stuff that was going on I'm not going to go into detail it's all in my book though can't didn't have time to put my books out today but anyway um after I was all well, all is well, that's when I wrote my book. And let me tell you, during those months, God had built so much up in me, so much more about keeping your healing when I had just gone through a fight to keep my own healing. I was so equipped. That's what the Bible does. That's what the word does. It prepares us and equips us. And that's what happened. I was equipped. And that book is a result of that whole season of my life. If I would have written it without that, no, God didn't do it. The enemy did it. But if I hadn't lived through all that, I would have been in a different place. And the book wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have had as much power, Holy Spirit power and impact. And that's what happens in all of our lives. You could all tell a similar story. Okay, sickness is not, I'm going to repeat it again, number nine, given to us by God to teach or perfect or discipline us. The word is given to us to teach us and to perfect us. And here's the last one, number 10. 
Sickness is not given as a discipline because of your unworthiness. Because you are worthy. You're not unworthy. If you are a daughter or a son of God, you are worthy. That's another whole huge teaching. But the bottom line, you are worthy because of Jesus' blood sacrifice. Healing is a gift given, not based on your worthiness or your works, but based on Jesus' finished work. Now, I'm going to read to you a very short email that I got about a month ago that made me mad, that made me very, very angry because there was a huge lie in there, and I'm going to teach about that lie. Here it is. The man said, I am still afflicted with chronic asthma and bronchitis and have difficulty breathing. All I want is the Lord to heal my lungs. Today I was completely devastated when someone who I look up to said to me that maybe the Lord is using asthma and lung infection to discipline me because I ate the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Or perhaps he's using this disease to discipline me for my good. I got, actually it was a text, it wasn't an email. And as soon as I got that text, holy anger rose up in me. <laughs> and I called that guy immediately. It was like, we're nipping this in the bud. That is a lie, 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 lie. And I want to show you where this was taken, where that lie was taken out of context in scripture. And I want to show you the truth. So this is 1 Corinthians um, 11, verse 27 through 30. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's, if you stop there, you got a problem. And that's where this man who gave that advice probably stopped. Because that sounds like you're guilty of sin, and you better examine your heart of sin, or... Or the end of it says, that's why many weak and are sick and many sleep or die. But let's read the verse in between. Verse 29. For he, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. So the, the issue with taking communion in an unworthy manner, is when we do not discern the Lord's body. When we take communion, there's the bread and the wine, the bread and the cup. The bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus and what Jesus did with his body. His body was broken for our healing. The bread represents the gift of healing and wholeness that Jesus died for, guys that he took the stripes on his back for, that he took the crown of thorns for, that he took the, the, the trauma, the torment, the ridicule, the rejection for. That bread represents all of that. The cup represents the remission of sin, the complete sacrifice that Jesus paid, ransoming us so that, so that sin was no longer a sin issue. The barrier of sin was removed. They're both powerful beautiful pieces of the gift of salvation. And when Jesus instituted the ordinance of communion, there were two um, pieces of communion, bread and wine. 
This scripture says, when we take communion without discerning the Lord's body, many times communion is just about the forgiveness of sin. It's not about what Jesus' body did. Many people, have, many people haven't even been taught what Jesus' body purchased for us, his broken body. I didn't know it until somebody told me. I lived many, many, many years not knowing the truth that Jesus paid the price for my healing at the same time that he paid the price for my forgiveness. I didn't know it. So I wasn't discerning the Lord's body when I took communion. I was um, born and raised Catholic. And the prayer that we always said before communion was, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. I am worthy. I don't have to say that before I take communion. Yes, God wants to grow us and mold us, and he wants us to come to him in repentance, which means run to our Father and let him make us more like him. Yes, he wants us to do that. Absolutely. That's what the word is for. But this issue that this man's talking about isn't, isn't what the word says. God doesn't discipline us and even cause death, weakness, sickness, and death. It's not a discipline for being unworthy or for being a sinner. No. Jesus did it for us. He paid the price for us. He took the judgment for us. If we say that, it's as if God didn't do enough. Jesus didn't do enough, and we have to add to his work. That's a bunch of baloney. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Okay, quick chart review, and then we're going to pray, and I am going to introduce my friend. Number one, this is what God thinks. God thinks sickness is a curse, and he sent Jesus to redeem us from the curse. Can't keep going. God sees sickness as the oppression of the devil. And he sent us Jesus to destroy the oppression or the works of the devil. God sees sickness as bondage. And he sent Jesus to release us from the bondage of sickness. God sees sickness as captivity. And he sent Jesus to deliver us from that captivity. God sees sickness as evil. But God's will is to do good. God sees sickness as a killer, but God sent his word and healed us and gives us life. God sees sickness as a stealer, but God gives in abundance. Jesus says, I come to give. God sees sickness as not a good or a perfect gift, but God only gives good and perfect gifts. Sorry, some of our words fell off here. God sees sickness, or sickness is not given to us by God to teach or perfect or discipline us. The word is what God gives us to teach and perfect us and correct us. And sickness is not given as a discipline because you're unworthy. You are worthy because of his blood sacrifice. Healing is a gift given, not based upon your works, but on Jesus' finished work. So, Father God... My prayer right now is that we see sickness as you see sickness. Father, I pray that the seeds that have been sown will take root, that we'll take the notes home and open up our Bibles 
and see for ourselves the truth of your word. We will no longer accommodate sickness. We'll no longer let that snake live in our living room, but we'll kill it. We'll see sickness as you see it. We'll get angry. We'll be aggressive. We'll, we'll be grieved by sickness as you're grieved by sickness, and we'll take action and not, not um, uh, have, make peace with the disease or with sickness or with pain. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit stirs in a deep, deep way in our hearts and our faith rises up about 20 notches as we see sickness as you see it and how you gave us Jesus to take care of the whole healing, sickness issue and healing gift. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay.